Welcome to the Girl Gang Podcast, your weekly dose of friendship, real business advice, and no bullshit guaranteed. I'm your host, Amanda Smith, the no bullshit business coach and CEO and founder of Dallas Girl Gang. I'm glad you're here. We want to invite you to join our Patreon platform. If you listen to another podcast, you know that Patreon is a platform where creators and podcast hosts can bring their community together and you guys can literally support the show. Literally help us keep the lights on at the Girl Gang Podcast. So here's what it looks like. It is a monthly community subscription and there's two different levels. Level number one is literally one dollar a month. I know, <laughs> so easy. Everybody has one dollar. So with this level, it's a super simple way to just show your appreciation for the value you get from this podcast. Or maybe you just want to show your appreciation for the Girl Gang community. Maybe you love our Facebook group, our content, things like that. One dollar a month. And then the benefit that you're going to get with that is 20% off all of our merchandise in our store with code Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and that is just for you. Then our second level is our VIP Girl Gang, and that's just $10 a month, and here's what it comes with. Free events, local or online, access to our Insiders Membership Facebook group. So essentially, this is the basic level of our actual membership on the Dallas Girl Gang side of things. You will get as a Patreon member, a signature gang gang hat that you've seen literally everywhere. You can use um, a special code for that that's going to be given to you when you sign up. Discount codes and free trials for our favorite products and shops. Examples are like Smart Suites, Jot Coffee, the Thinkific platform, and so many more of our other partners. And then again, the uh, merchandise of 20% off forever with your own code. So option one, one dollar a month or option two, ten dollars a month. We would love to have you support us in this podcast because we have a podcast editor. She is amazing. Her name is Rebecca <laughs> and we want to be able to keep supporting her, the content that we're putting out and all the work that goes into a podcast behind the scenes. If you have a podcast, you know this is like another part-time job, okay? <laughs> this is no joke. Um, and we know that you love this community. This is just a great way to uh, continue to support what the things that you love, especially just at that easy $1 level. So head to the link in the episode description to explore the options for joining our Patreon community. Hey y'all, this is Rebecca, podcast manager here at the Girl Gang Podcast. Last week we launched our podcast with some pretty juicy and real episodes. Today we're going to bring you some of our favorite parts of those talks. Make sure you go back to last week and take a listen to Sam, Liz, Melissa, Kara, and Madison's episodes. As always, thank you for listening and enjoy. This is a big feat to take on. And we know the the common like assumption in the tech world is that it's going to cost a lot of money. Okay. So you guys started this and had no money. So let's talk about that. How has it been? Have you gotten funding? Has it been self-funded? What What's the story? Let's talk about it. So uh, Chris started with bootstrap money, his own capital, just a tiny bit. I added a little bit in. Um, that got us somewhere. 
then we raised money. Um, okay. We have, we now are backed by three VCs, um, which is awesome. Great. We raised our pre-seed. It closed last year. We built a product off of that. And now we're raising our seed. So we're raising our next round of funding right now. Um, and that was probably, there are so many learning curves, right? Coming yeah. from a large public company to a startup with no people. Did you have any knowledge of like how all of this worked? Like venture capitalist and pre-seed and seed, like, no. did you know any? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, I had, I have an amazing network of people and friends who are much smarter than me and know all of these things. And so I leaned on them pretty hard. I read a lot of books. I talked to a lot of people. Chris and I have a great board of advisors. We have awesome mentors. And Chris has done this before. Okay. Um, That's good. And so he was able to help guide me. But no, I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. Flying by the seat of my pants. Still am. Um, I know a little bit more now. But yes. I would say our first go round of fundraising was hard. Um, harder, honestly, than I expected it to be. And the thing that wasn't... The thing, the thing that's funny now, looking back, is um, the past couple of years have been the biggest venture funding years ever of all time. And so when you sit down and talk to people who are in the space, they're like, you'll have no problem getting money. Getting money is super easy. There's money everywhere. And then you step into a meeting and you start talking about your business and your proposition and where you are. Um, and it's hard. It's not as easy as people paint it out to be. And it's a slog. Yeah. And, you know... You sit down with 20 people and, you know, maybe two of them write you a check if you're lucky. Um, And it takes a lot of, um, it takes a lot of grit and you really have to put your ego aside and just keep walking into the room and keep listening. Um, And with every rejection, also hear the feedback and then decide do I agree? Is this feedback valid? And how am I going to implement it? And then take that learning into the next meeting. And that's really how we grew. Um, So to answer your question, it's been, uh, I know I didn't know anything. And and now I know some things and And I'm learning every day. (laughs) So, okay, let's talk like literally about, about the money, because I know people at home have these questions. I have these questions myself. I've never been in the startup space. So when you two put some money together, are we talking like you had $5,000 and he, are we talking like $50,000, you know, he had a hundred thousand dollars. Like I think some people's conceptions of startups, like, and how much money it takes. And then I want to talk about what is the money going to do? Is it paying you guys? Is it paying for the research and the people, the developers of the app? Like Let's lay it all out there. Yeah. So I can't disclose how much funding we've raised thus far, um, but I can say that we started with with small amounts of money. So not 5,000, but not 100,000, like tens of thousands um, and have grown from there. Um, Does the money go to paying us? Not at this point. Almost. Yeah, I figured. Um, We're almost at that point. We're getting close. Um, But most of our funding has gone to development. Um, research, a little bit of user acquisition, but not so much even at this point because we're still so new. Um, Paying our team of engineers, data scientists, and dietitians and nutritionists who have really built the brain behind BiteWell. 
Um, that's really what the funding has gone to thus far. And in our next stage, um, now that we have the app is live, it's piloting in Dallas. Um, Dallas is our first okay. market. Mm-hmm. It's certainly still early and clunky and all of those things, but we're getting great feedback. So now with our kind of next round of funding, the things that we'll start to look toward as we mature as a business are, okay, we need to continue growing out the team. We need to continue maturing the product. We need to um, actually start putting some funding behind growth now that the product is out in the world and doing well. And so we're moving out of development test insular phase into more of a consumer facing growth phase. Yeah. That's super exciting. So in these next couple of phases, next couple of years, let's say, you're, you're raising more money, you're getting more funding. And I think the question for some people, including myself, is if it's a, a tech product, right? How do you make money? Especially if, if the app is free, which it may not be, especially down the road. But what's the process here? That's a great question. Um, and one that Chris and I talk about a lot because we have both come from packaged goods where the revenue structure and the, the profit structure is pretty, um, pretty clear, pretty clear, right? Yeah. You have a product, there's a margin on your product. That's how you make your money. We have lots of different possible ways to make money. And I think every tech company is different. Some tech companies focus on growth and users. Some tech companies focus on um, subscriptions and uh, recurring monthly revenue. Some tech companies focus on data. And so it it's all very different um, and it just depends. And for us, we believe that we have multiple po- possible revenue streams. Um, and what's important to us as founders is to really build a business with sound fundamentals so that we, you know, do have the opportunity to make money at some point in our existence, as opposed to, um, there are lots of tech companies that are wildly successful and it takes them a very, very, very long time to turn a profit. Um, that may be the case for us, but we hope it's not. Sure. I think that's probably what makes people nervous to, to jump into something like this or be a part of a startup. So was it difficult for you guys to find, like, to hire those nutritionists, those people, uh, a part, to be a part of your team? Because I wonder if people feel like, okay, this is a paying job, but it's a startup. How do I feel about that? Like, you know? We um, have been very lucky, I think, because what we're building is so new and first market and the pain of the problem is really felt by um, the dietetic community and the food science community and the nutrition community. We haven't had trouble hiring people. Um, We have an awesome team who is very aligned with the vision. And Chris and I, as founders, are really transparent. We bring our team along the entire process. We tell them where we're at. We tell them where we're at with fundraising. We um, I love that. we share as much as we possibly can with them so that they can make the best, most informed decisions about their life. Um, yes. We're never going to tell, I mean, at some point when we're a much larger company, there will be much more stability, but we're very transparent with the fact that this is a startup 
anything could happen. And we believe that there's so much upside possibility and potential that it's worth the risk. Yeah, I love that. And I think the biggest thing you hit on was they're so aligned with your vision and your team. Um, well, let's just get into it. So let's start with being a mom. Okay. Okay. You're a mom. You're working from home. What's that really like? (laughs) Yeah. So, okay. Right now, my daughter just turned four at the end of January. So she's in preschool. She's in preschool part-time. So two half days a week. Got it. And my son will be two in May. So crazy. He's kind of like that marker. I know. Um, so real, real talk. My kids are wildly different, just like everybody else who has kids or will have kids. Your kids are going to be wildly different, but my daughter is, um, beautifully complex and wonderful and challenging. And from the get-go, we've also had help with daycare. Like my kids are in daycare when the pandemic was started and we didn't know what was up. And I wanted to be super cautious because I was so close to delivery. We pulled my daughter. And so that was really weird. Like working from home, my husband was home. My daughter was home. Like my mom tried to help. It was like us, my mom and my stepdad were the pod. Like we, yeah, right. This is, you know, March, 2020. So fast forwarding to today, like we have I don't have my kids home with me all of the time, which has allowed me to get work done, but I do what I have now is the beauty to have more time with them. So like after preschool on Wednesdays, I spend time with Nora. We have flexibility, but truth is like, it's really hard when you're trying to figure out how you can raise up kids to be strong and empathetic and smart and independent to acknowledge their own voice, but to have boundaries I mean, being a parent is so, it is just so complex. And I, what I would like to like get specific on this, and this isn't something I've shared really publicly. I I was open about it a little bit in the fall um, on Instagram, just because again, I think it's better to let people in. Yeah. But this fall, we just really were struggling with my daughter and she was having a lot of behavioral issues that were really alarming. And I mean, there was like a couple of weeks where I wasn't getting anything done yeah. at work. I was just like in tears every day. Cause I didn't know how to help her through it. And yeah. it was putting stress on work, stress on marriage, stress on health, like yeah. all these things. And you know, where there's stress in one area, it's a domino effect in others. Oh, yeah. And so now we were able to go get the support that we need, which is great. And things have been really on the up and positive and wonderful, but nobody I shouldn't say nobody, very few times. Yeah. It's not common to hear about those things. Mm -hmm. It's not normalized. And if people Mm -hmm. do talk about it, it's like, oh, but what you didn't see was last year, we went through all these issues and, you know, we still ended up on the upside. And I just, I have a problem with that from a marketing perspective and from (laughs) an integrity perspective, you know, this. (laughs) But I just think like, if you're a parent and you are struggling, whether it's like, for me, I have a hard time because I like things to be, I don't want to control everybody, but I like to feel like things are in control. And my, you think you're a little more type A? Oh, hundred percent. Okay. Yeah. hundred percent. But yeah, if you are in a season of life, whether it's through kids or just in business, like there, reach out to people, be honest about it. You'll be amazed at 
um, not just the love that you get, but the actual like, hey, this could truly be helpful and change the trajectory. Yeah. Yeah. I know that was a tangent. But- no, I mean, I remember when my sister was little, I don't have very good memory. My mem- like before 21 years old, I don't remember a whole lot. Like I, my memory <laughs> is terrible. I have like very vivid, sparse things, but I remember like my sister was the middle child and she was fine. I think it was just classic Todd, not toddler, but like she was three, she was, you know, three and four. And she would, we all got into shit when we were young like that. Um, but I remember like my parents and I haven't even seen friends now having kids and look, I'm sure when we have kids, me plus Zach, someone's going to have a problem. Like someone's going to have some kind of like, um, tantrum issue. I don't know. Um, we will cross that bridge when we get there and I will hopefully be quote unquote prepared for it. But, (laughs) you know, I just remember it was, I could see the stress in my mom of what do I do? And, and especially in the nineties, like, I don't think anybody was really like talking about it and it Mm -hmm. felt embarrassing and blah, blah. And, um, but I Mm -hmm. think now there are a lot of, or more, I should say women showing behind the scenes of their everyday life with kids and specifically in this like entrepreneur space. Um, especially when like health issues arise with your kid or like, you know, when a problem and the kid has to go to the hospital or there's this other health issue or like they're working through like an allergic reaction to something. You don't know what it is. And, um, you know, I think there's just a reality to that, that people don't see, but that like, to your point, like you can find a lot of comfort and, um, just ease in, in knowing that like, you're not the only person going mm-hmm. through that. And for me, it would have been more work <laughs> and felt very inauthentic to show up as if nothing was wrong. And I, I get it from, I mean, listen, you know, I'm a brand strategist. I get brand perception. I get yeah. all those things. I get the customer experience, but as a solopreneur, you are in a personal brand, you're the face of your business. And even if you own an agency, even if you have a team, if you're showing up as you and it's under your name and your face is the one on stories, like people are connected to you, you are your brand. And if I had showed up, like nothing was wrong, all was hunky dory, like all these things that would have been a lie. Yeah. Not that I have to like, what is, there's that great quote. It's like, show the scars, not the wounds. Yes. Um, I was love just that. talking about this. And yeah, Brene Brown like says, share what is vulnerable, not what is intimate. Yeah. Which I think are great pieces of advice. Yeah. But we need so more too. of that in this entrepreneur space because I have felt like, oh man, I've seen two businesses that have done very well. And one woman is on the spectrum of shares. Everything is so bold. Um, and that is she's done really well. And the other is always polished and she does really well. And I'm like, I don't, I feel caught in the middle. Yeah. Um, and that is like, so true for probably a lot of people listening. Yeah. And I stand there with you, uh, the conversation I had where you, you brought up that quote, it actually was with a client, um, a few days ago. And she was like, how much is too much to, to share? Cause she's kind of reframing things and, um, very, she's also in this space of like, 
body positivity and Mm -hmm. things like that. So that, that also like puts you in a whole different possibility of like the light being on you. Um, and so I said, look, and I said exactly what you said, that quote about, you know, you don't have to share the open wound, but you know, share your scars and like your experience and, and what could relate to people. Um, and I think, I think about when I'm posting something or I want to share something in my stories or create a video from it or whatever, I think, is this going to be helpful, informational or entertaining? Or do I have an alternative motive to sharing this? Because sometimes let's be honest, like our ego is very much involved and we want attention. Mm-hmm. And so whether it's on, you know, trying to look perfect or trying to overshare either way, that's where I fall. So getting into making more money in your business. Again, I I really appreciate how real you were about some months in the, in that first year or whatever, couldn't pay yourself. Mm -hmm. I think there's so much that is happening in the online space right now of people talking about how much money they make and not talking about their overhead and not talking about taxes or Mm. their team that they pay or this thing that they invested in or whatever. Um, I don't know. I kind of want to hear your thoughts on, on that. Um, no one ever talks about their expenses. (laughs) (laughs) No one's going to like fully admit that like they're not making any money online. Let's just be real. Um, and I feel like there's, there's some big, um, this earpod keeps falling up. There's some big heavy hitters in the industry that from what I've heard, they're not making any money in their business, but they, it's like this facade that they keep, they're just going to keep pretending like they're making the same amount as last year, even though they're not generating enough revenue in their business. It's going to bite them in the ass at some point. I'll say that. Yeah. I would just, if it hasn't already be, be leery, right. If you're looking into working with a coach or even just with a service provider. Um, I think there's just a lot of, we don't know what we don't know, right? Mm-hmm. People can say anything online yeah. these days. We don't know if it's true or not. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, you know, ask for receipts. Um, as, a, as a service provider, people always want to see my receipts. So if I'm going to hire a, a mentor or a coach, you know, it's sometimes it's not, it's not just about how much money they're making, right? Absolutely. It's honestly about what type of lifestyle do they have? Do they have the same values of, as me, mm-hmm. right? Um, for the longest time, I was I was only hiring mentors that like had a different business model as me and then, you know, ended up working with Hannah, which that's mm-hmm. how I met you. Yeah. Um, and I was like, you know what? I, I need someone that has an agency. Right. Um, I and need someone does. that like has or has experience doing both right because essentially that's the kind of business that I already had I already had courses I had a client roster um but yeah there's there's a lot that you don't see that is just posted online it's definitely and I will I will say that I I tend to always post like the highlight reels but I try to share more behind the scenes like struggles because I know people can relate 100%. Right. Well, and it's not like we have to, I've been having this conversation a lot lately with people on the show 
in my stories with clients and it's like, how much do we share? Right. We don't need to like air out all our dirty laundry and Mm -hmm. show people like (laughs) our current open wounds, but we can share from our experience and, you know, maybe kind of warn people about X, Y, Z. My biggest lesson from 2021 was I paid way too many contractors, period. And I could have paid myself so much more. And so going into this year, that's something I want to be honest about with people. I actually don't even care if I make more in gross revenue this year. I just want to pay myself more, period. Yeah. You know? That was a big, big goal for my myself too. Yeah. Um, especially going into 2021, I was like, I don't necessarily care about paying myself more. I just want to work less. <laughs> or that. I mean, you have a kid. Honestly. Yeah. And and yeah. now, you know, for, for us moving forward, like we would like to have a kid in the near future. And if Lord willing, if that happens for us, like I don't want to be tied to one-on-one clients all the time. Or I, I like, I want to be able to work less, you know, I'm already feeling better after shifting out of teaching full-time you for sure feel better getting out of corporate and we're, we're happy with that but it's like you know there is a little bit of truth of when you become a full-time business owner it can feel 24 7 sometimes do you feel that oh yeah 100 <laughs> obviously it's not like um, the same experience as working for somebody else yes. and working with their clients than yes. having to do with their horrible clientele. Um, I have more say and flexibility on who I get to work with and who gets to stay on the client roster than I would mm-hmm. say working for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was my biggest thing for for 2021. I was like, I, I don't even care if I pay myself the same. Yeah. I just want to work less, like less hours in the business, less yeah. So I eventually did hire um, an operations manager, mm-hmm. who, you know, uh, is ta- has taken over a lot of the stuff that I was doing. I That's was great. literally the project manager. <laughs> I love it. For a lot of like one-off client, like funnel build projects yeah. or, you know, sales page design. I was always spearheading behind the scenes and I was like, I cannot continue to do this and still also run the company. So yeah. um, I think that there comes a time, you know, that it can feel like your previous nine to five. Mm-hmm. And as as soon as it felt like that, that's when I knew I needed to hire somebody full time. Yeah. I was like, I don't even care if this dips into like profit margins. I need somebody. Yeah. And that's where, and this is like a huge piece of like who I am as a coach, what I teach clients. And I know for you too, like everything has to be aligned. Every client you take on, every project, what you're doing, if it's not aligning with what you want, for your life and your family, then it's not worth it. You know? Um, right. so we were talking about how people, you know, they, they post the highlight reels and, and, and stuff like that. And I think there's, there's a difference between like, let's post about client success and social proof because that's an important part of marketing right. to our target audience, but mm-hmm. just logistically, but also sharing behind the scenes of our, you know, past mistakes or whatever. Um, this really, um, Triggered is not triggered is not the right word, but this um gave me some feelings yesterday. I saw someone post um how the online space and being an entrepreneur is made to look really luxurious and sexy. 
and people Mm -hmm. make it look like that. Oh yeah. And then she, it was, it was a post of someone like writing just text and it was a carousel post. And so she went on to explain like, here's the real, um, the real shit that I, that, you know, we deal with and blah, 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 and what it looks like and paying yourself and overhead and six to seven figures and which I'm so tired of hearing of and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. (laughs) But, but here's the thing. And I was like resonating with this, but all of her content is the stuff she was talking about. Like she's the one, she's one of the people making it look luxurious, making it look sexy, like Uh, making it look easy as pie. And making it look like, you know, espresso and martinis at every uh, day, a a private (laughs) on a private jet, you know, and I was like, hold on. Are you saying this because you're you're shifting and you want to address this or are you saying it? And this really bothers me. Are you saying it because the space is shifting and you're trying to be seen as more authentic? Oh uh, yeah, and she so could just be trying to be more relatable. Yeah, but, but yeah. I mean, I'm sure off, people can see right through that. It came off really funky because the, you know, then you go to her profile, and I was like, "But you do make it look like that." And I yeah. know there, there's there's a um, there's stuff to having profo- professional photos and video and, and things like that. We want we want to dress up for that stuff and like look great and have professional branding. Um, anyway. It's just mm-hmm. interesting. <laughs> no, I, to- I totally see what you're coming from. Yeah. yeah. It's it's like the same the same people that have like seven figure business owner in their bio, but then yeah. they also treat their team like shit or they are very stingy on how much they are willing to pay for a specialist, right? It's like there's so many toxic things in this industry that mm-hmm. happen behind the scenes that are not talked about as much. Yeah. So you talked about this recently in your stories and mm-hmm. <laughs> it really got um, spicy there for a while in your DMs, I think. Um, mm-hmm. So let's talk about that. I mean, you know, for people that are listening or for their their future in their business or whatever, you know, I think there is, a, you know, I know that like I have a budget of what I can pay people and whatever. And I always try to make sure like I'm not lowballing people and that it's, you know, comparable to the market, whatever. Talk to me about um, that conversation last week. I ended up uh, meeting my husband, my soon to be husband in New York um, in a bar. My, my kids love that, that love it. we're still there. It's called down the hatch. And love it. Uh, I love that. Met in a bar and uh, ended up, he wanted to do technology law. So that got us out to San Francisco. Mm. Nobody, um, he was graduating from law school. All of the law firms in New York were like, if you want to do internet law, go West. And so we went West and came to San Francisco. I didn't know anybody. I wasn't sure whether or not I wanted to work in media because it may sound crazy to some people, but media was really you know, especially back in in the 90s, it was all done out of New York. Like everything else was like satellite, local. And I didn't Mm -hmm. really want to do that um, or I wasn't sure I wanted to do that. But so when I got to San Francisco, I really was looking for kind of where do I want to go? And the only brand that kind of resonated with me and 
I always think about brands and even back then I tied them to entrepreneurs and sort of stories. Yep. Was this guy, Steve Jobs at Apple. This guy. This guy, right? <laughs> Just some guy. And he was going through his own turmoil with Apple, but I I had I was lucky enough to have an Apple computer when I was in college. I'd saved my babysitting and waitressing money and I had bought one with doing all my papers, my journalism papers. And so Did you have I, one of the colored ones? I, I did with the cute little apple. What color and, was yours? Well, no, back. Oh. Well, back then. I was then, wondering when did those colored ones come out? I don't. Those were a little bit later. Um, I'm trying to I think. actually did have one later, but the the first ones were. I mean, they were really small, not as small as they are today, but mm-hmm. they were. They almost look like an egg. They yeah. were just, yep. you know, off white, and they had that cute little apple on it, and yeah. I just. I loved it. And <laughs> I was one of the few people, especially women, nobody yeah. had just computer. Com- yeah, right. Just and people were just be like, what, what is that? You know? And I just yeah. didn't want to go to, we had a computer resources room in mm-hmm. college and it was mm-hmm. a hassle to go to. Anyway. So when I figured out that Apple and Steve Jobs was in the Bay area, I then quickly figured out that Cupertino was really far from San Francisco where I was living. So I thought, hmm. I don't want to commute every single day, like a mm-hmm. hundred miles. I mean, yeah. that's just a lot. I, that's just not even really not an option. <laughs> but when I was looking for this, you know, next opportunity, I had stumbled upon this little startup that was called Two Market that was a spin out of, um, of Apple. Um, that five guys who had worked for Steve and they were doing this thing called CD-ROM shopping. All I heard, I didn't know what CD-ROM was, but the I, shopping part. I thought shopping. I can do shopping. I, I'm really yeah. good at shopping I'm and I, I can probably shopping. do that. <laughs> and anything that is even sort of related to Apple and Steve Jobs and shopping, I thought, oh, that's really cool. So I cold called the guy who was in the research article. I love um, this. I love your gumption because that's how I would be. I'd be like, I'll just call him. I'll just show I'll just up. Call like, him. I'll just, what else do you do? <laughs> and and the company was based in this town called San Mateo, which was still like 25 miles from San Francisco, but not 100 miles. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I'm like, eh, okay, mm. I'm just going to go have coffee with this guy. And it was funny because when I showed up, for coffee. He invited me to have coffee. Uh He was intrigued because I worked for the startup on the East Coast called Uh CNN. Uh And the first thing that he wanted to talk about was Ted Turner. Yeah. Because he had he had worked for Steve Jobs. It was like, oh Steve, oh yeah. I mean he's really brilliant. He's kind of crazy. But it was kind of old news to him. Just like that's just like Ted. Yeah. Right. Like he's just normal. And we were just laughing. And then we started talking about this whole CD-ROM shopping thing. But I really think that the fact that I, it didn't even matter what I did for CNN, the fact that I worked for a company that had a founder Mm -hmm. and the founder story was, was kind of the pull to even allow me to have. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So I end up uh, having coffee and then ended up having another cup of coffee with them. And I got this job offer. And I'm like, so what was CD-ROM shopping? So CD-ROM shopping, it's a, it's a, actually a really, really crazy. Sounds concept. like fashion retail shopping 
but for CDs. I don't know. Biggest problem, totally dating myself here. This is 1994. um, And not to pitch my book, but you should definitely. No, yeah, we're going to talk about the book. There are a lot of people actually that read this 94 to 2001 time Uh frame that Uh I talk about the CD-ROM shopping and then um, through my my next startup, which was America Online, it's like, it's really, it's historical. And I think it's kind of telling for a lot of stuff that's going on right now with mm. Web3 and NFTs and and sort of mm-hmm. when you look back on history, it, it's just, it's a different time, obviously, but the changes were, were big. And I, I think that it's, it's very, very interesting. And um, anyway, so CD-ROM shopping. So basically in 1994, there was this thing called dial-up service. So you actually had to connect with your phone to the internet. I remember the, it makes me think of the beginning of the movie, You've Got Mail. Totally. And we had the startup modem and I can hear the sound in my head and I could probably like hum the pitches. (laughs) Yeah, you know, and, so, and, and by the and basically, <clears throat> like, if you were connecting to the internet, it was so slow, and there was no possible way that you could have graphics. Like, forget mm-hmm. about what we're doing right now with yeah. video, no way. Yeah, and so you would have graphics, and your computer would freeze. It was everything was super text based, and I think that was the thing that they were really intrigued when they were interviewing me because. It, there weren't very many women that sort of got this concept. And again, I wasn't an engineer. I had right. no idea what I was talking you about. You just started just, kind of putting yourself in these spaces. Yeah. But also there were, do you remember CompuServe and Prodigy? Yeah. I mean, these are early. So there was CompuServe, there was Prodigy, there was America Online. Steve Case probably doesn't want to hear it, but Steve, like America Online was a distant third to CompuServe and Prodigy. And so when I went in to talk to them about the CD-ROM product, this is a little known Steve Jobs idea that was incubated inside of Apple. But Steve had this brilliant idea that if you put the graphics on a disc and you told the consumer to insert the disc in the machine, it became known as upgrade, right? So all these consumers were sticking discs in the machine and what they were doing was they were taking the graphics and they were downloading them on their hard drive. But consumers didn't know that they were doing that. And so then Mm -hmm. when you connected to the internet, you had all the graphics on your hard drive. And I was like, this is mind blowing. Mind blowing. Yeah. Right. Right? I was like, nobody, nobody cares how or why it's working, but it's like, it's working. And, and yet, here in 2022, we're like, what? Yeah. You had, and, you had to do what? <laughs> yeah. And so again, like you, you still had to fight with your brother in the next room <laughs> on the chat room yeah. right? and disconnecting you from your services, all that mm-hmm. stuff was going on. But again, it was like a, it was a maker. It, it was like a go around. And mm-hmm. this was a Steve Jobs idea. And so mm-hmm. again, the thing that I think they liked most about when I was talking to them about this idea was that I wasn't technical. I was a consumer and I yes. wanted this. And yep. I was also a woman uh-huh. who they didn't see very often 
in in the world of the internet, right? Yeah. And I was sitting here, I was like a focus group for them. Yeah, you and were I was saying, oh, I totally get different it. person so, for them. So now the shopping, what they had done to try and prove the concept was they had taken catalogs like J. Crew and LLB Penny or whatever. And put them on this disc. And again, the images were being downloaded onto the consumer's computer. Mm-hmm. So you didn't have like you know, pricing changes or whatever until the next disc came. And then you got like the, mm-hmm. the new, new thing. catalog kind of thing. Anyway, so I was just like, this is so cool. This is like the future. I mean, this is the start of direct to consumer. And it's exactly what I was about I mean, to we say. We called it online shopping, but it yeah. was like, it really was the start of this mm-hmm. thing. So I figured eventually they're going to figure me out that I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> And they're going to fire me. But I in feel the like meantime, everybody has those feelings, which right? I want to revisit. <laughs> yeah. Like, I really. And so I definitely have healthy boundaries and in, in what I share and what I don't share. But yeah, with writing music, it's hard because I write out my whole soul. Yeah. And then people are like, wait, so like, who is that about? You know, and I'm like, don't worry about it. (laughs) Don't worry about it. And sometimes like, so I'll, I'll be very honest with you. So I have a single coming out, lose to love. Yes. Um, Here's my little promo for it. No, we're going to talk about it. Yeah. Yes. I mean, we could, do you want to go into that? I don't care. Sure. Let's do it. Okay. I don't want to steal your question or whatever, but go for it. I posted a video, um, with me and kind of, he's one of my guy friends, spoiler alert, but yeah. And it was kind of like, promoting the song and I'm not I'm not dumb like I know people are gonna be like did you just break up with him through a song or like I knew it was gonna get buzz and especially on TikTok or whatever it went viral on TikTok you know I have people asking me like is that your boyfriend yeah all those things and he's not my boyfriend actually he's just a good friend of mine and we just did the video like just kind of like a little created a little scene and and just made it fun but For example, Lose to Love, I I, I kind of wrote it about like a couple situations. So some of my songs too, it's like I put this situation, this situation together. So it's not like, oh, I just wrote it about this just one this. situation. Yeah. yeah. So that's also kind of fun sometimes because this song, like my next single coming out after this one, it's very directed towards one person. Um, no one will know who that is. Cause like, I haven't put any other relationships online, but, um, but yeah, like this one is like about a couple different people. <laughs> yeah, no, I absolutely love it. And I remember that coming out and I was like, Oh Lord, everyone's going to be asking like, yeah, is he? Ah, you know? Um, but no, I mean, you, I, I love how, how honest you are. And I think it's, it's super important. So one question that we got from our community is how do you stay true? And I think we've covered a little bit of this, but how do you stay true to yourself when there's so much competition and comparison? Because I mean, look, everybody's trying to get a, a record label to sign them or, yeah. you know, competing for this spot for this gig or like whatever. So how, how are you managing that now? Mm-hmm. I think it's been a journey and I'm not perfect, obviously. So I'm, I can't sit here and say that I don't 
compare myself to people sometimes, but I definitely think that I've learned through this business that comparison really is the thief of joy. That is a great line, but it's a great quote because I'm compared to people every day. Like I'm in meetings and people will say like, oh yeah, she's, so she's a little mix between like a Tori Kelly and like, she's kind of given the Whitney vibe, you know, like I'm, I'm, they're constantly trying to tag me to somebody something. or something to compare me. And really, I would just say it goes back to really knowing who you are and your identity and your purpose, because my purpose is going to be different than Amanda's purpose. And we all, we each have our own lane. And I've just seen that if I look into your lane or into your lane, then I'm not doing my purpose. And I actually told my friends that yesterday that they asked me, we were just talking about like, they're like, how can we pray for you? And I was like, so that I don't get distracted so that I'm not looking to my right or to my left at other people at maybe like, you know, a relationship I don't need to be in, whatever it is that's distracting me. I need to look forward on my purpose because there's people that I need to impact and I can't afford to compare myself because then I'm not on my path. And I'll say this to whoever asked that, like, even if, you know, your job's not in the public eye or whatever, and, and you work at whatever McDonald's, like seriously, whatever job you have, whatever you're doing, if you work at a desk, if you work at a fast food, if you go to school, whatever you have a purpose there. So there's, there's not, nothing is purposeless. So if you focus on that and that you have a purpose, then it's easier to say, well, this is my purpose. My purpose is not what hers is going to be. And sometimes theirs might look more glitzy and glammy than yours, but yours is just as important as theirs. Um, and so I always recommend this book. It's literally my heart and soul, but it's called a purpose driven life. And I would just encourage you to read that because I wake up every day and I really just go back to the source and that's God, because he created me and he tells me who I am, what I need to do, how I need to act like, and I love who he's made me to be. So I, I want to continue on that. So I would just say, if you know, that purpose, it's so much easier when those comparison thoughts come in, or when you see somebody else doing better than you or whatever, um, I would just say to, to go back to your purpose and, and say, okay, why do I feel like this? And, you know, how do I get back on track to know what my purpose in my life is? Ooh, well, there's your answer. <laughs> and it sounds like you have some really good friends. And that is one thing that I know is difficult, especially as an adult Yeah, to like go find friends. Cause mm-hmm. it's like, well, you're, you could be friends with the people that you work with. You could be friends with the people at your gym or if you go to church or whatever, but it's like, where else do you find friends? It's the entire purpose of why I started my company. But you know, I think it sounds like you have some really good friends. Have you met people through church and just like random stuff? Well, I will say that I did not feel like I had a solid, really solid group of friends until actually last July. Um, I have, and I like, I have great friends, but I didn't feel like I had girlfriends that were really pushing me in my purpose. I had great friends and like, 
I felt like, you know, we had so much fun together and things like that, but I needed warriors that were beside me that were fighting the same battle that I'm fighting and that were concerned about the same things that I'm concerned about. And I, through a mutual friend um, that she lived in London and then she moved back to LA. And the second she moved back to LA, she's like, Madison, I have a, I have some girls I need you to meet. <laughs> and I, if I'm being honest with you, I prayed for that for a year and it didn't come. And it was really hard That's so because hard. all my friends were guys. Like I felt like, like my close friends, you know, yeah. my deep close and as heart- a girl. That's hard. You need you need girlfriends. girlfriends. You need girlfriends. Yeah. And then it was like lines were blurred because the guy friends were like, okay, we're so close. Like, does she like me? And I'm like, no, like, <laughs> I'm like, no. no, I just, I just like want to be your friend, but then you can't really be super, super close to single guys. If you're a single girl, because somebody's going to like, gonna somebody. happen. somebody's going to want to date somebody. You know, so anyway, I have found, I will say that my community, my girlfriends around me, oh my gosh, they, they'll straight up look at me and I'll be like, is this a dumb idea? And they'll say, yes, we love you, but it is a dumb idea. Or they'll say, you're not, you're comparing yourself or you're being hard on the way you look or, you know, whatever it is. And they love me, but they also will give me truth and push me to be better. That's good. It is super hard. And I know that's a huge thing that I hear all the time. So if you are out there and you are like, dang, I need some friends. Well, first of all, there's plenty of communities out there for you like Dallas Girl Gang or, you know, maybe if you are the praying type or even if you're not like, yeah, that's something you can pray for. It's it's crazy hard and I totally get it. Everybody gets it. You know, it's weird to be like, hi, I'm Amanda. I'm an adult. Do you want to be my friend? Like what? (laughs) You know? Yes. Um, but this has been so much fun. I could talk to you forever. Um, right. And I hope I could see you in the flesh soon, but you in have the flesh. in the flesh, you have a new single coming out mm-hmm. available for pre-save on Spotify. Correct. Yes. On all platforms, all platforms. Pre-save. It's going to be in the link in the show notes here. So you guys go pre-save it. It's a fantastic song. Again, one of the videos that she showed her friends on TikTok <laughs> went viral. Um, but tell us when is it coming out? It comes out March 9th. March 9th, loose so, to love. Yes, I'm so excited. If you're in a season where you feel like you just gave up something for something better, this is the perfect song for you. Cause sometimes, you know, the song is about losing something to get the best for you. And that could be in any situation. This is obviously love. Like I talking about like breaking up with someone to find my person. But I think that if you just quit a job so that you can get a better job, whatever, it's like, sometimes you have to lose something to get something better. So this song really resonates with me in all areas. And I feel like it will with you guys too. 